Good morning to you. It's good to be here. It's good to uh, always uh, have a chance to be at Waterford. I really like your band today. It's really pretty cool. So, very nice job. I always like the brass. Brass is awesome, and as well as everything else. You know, um, growing old's not for the faint of heart. I just want you to know that. Those of you who are young, um, it's not the easiest thing to do. In fact, it just sort of Actually, it sneaks up on you. You don't really, it's not like you wake up one day and you go, I'm old now, right? It's just sort of an incremental kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's okay. There it is. And you, it's a look in the mirror when your hair is gone. I used to have a great head of hair. I just want to share that with you. Uh, but it's gone. And it, it, just, it just doesn't seem the same anymore. I had a, an appointment with a young man a few weeks ago. And it was his first appointment with me, and my office isn't the easiest to find because it's in a, it's in a residential area, sort of residential and professional combined. So he was late for the appointment. He called up, said, oh, I'm on my way. And I said, it's a little bit hard to find. I'll talk you in. So I got to know him a little bit on the phone. And he said, okay, I'm on your street. I said, okay, I'm going to go outside, and um, I'll, uh, I'll be able to walk in just, just so you'll be able to find it. And so I, I walked outside my office door, and I was sure he was coming from my left, I was looking down the street and I couldn't see anything. And I said, are you on my street? He goes, yeah, I'm on your street. And I said, you know, what address do you see? Oh, I can't really see an address. I said, well, can you see anything? What do you see? And he said, I, I see uh, an old gentleman in a, in a blue shirt talking on the phone. And folks, I swear to you, I looked up and down the street for an old man tottering along in a blue shirt talking on the phone, and I, I went, wait a second, I've got a blue shirt, and I'm talking on the phone. And he got out of the car, and we had, we had a good laugh, and I didn't help him at all in that appointment, I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, we live, in a, we live in a culture where older people don't quite have the status or stature as compared to other cultures. American culture is interesting, how, how, how we treat and how we regard uh, people who are older. If you're from a Latino culture, if you're from an African culture or Asian, uh, many times those cultures uh, have a, a, a more of a reverence and more of a regard for people of age. I was talking uh, with a nurse recently, and uh, she said, you know, it's interesting, the, um, the older people at, in the hospital that uh, have an ethnic background from Latino or Asian, she said, the family is always there. Not so much... Not so much in our culture. We don't really quite know sometimes what to do with our older people. Uh, do we have them live with us when they're old, which is the right answer, by the way, as I'm getting older, or do we, do we have them uh, live in a, an extended care facility, which many times is necessary? But what kind of a regard, really, do we have for older people? And as I was thinking on this passage that we're going to read, and thinking about two older people who intersected the life of this baby and this young couple. I was thinking about the older people uh, in my past that, that have affected me and affected my wife, affected my family. Uh, we, when we were in our mid-20s, we were in ministry, or in uh, campus ministry, college ministry. We moved to New England, Springfield, Massachusetts. Never lived there before, and uh, we put down roots there. We ended up living there for 15 years. And one of the first things we wanted to do outside of getting our home established is we wanted to find a church. 
And uh, we looked around, and, and finally we found this church. It ended up being just a mile from where we ended up living. Uh, it's called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, it was this quintessential, if you've been to New England, you've seen all the white steeples. And this is the quintessential New England church. It was brick with a white steeple and, and sat on the corner of Plum Tree and Wilbraham Road. And uh, the Covenant Church is a, a denomination that was originally made up of Swedish people who broke off of the state Lutheran church in the 1800s. There was a revival that took place in Sweden, and these people were very committed to growing their faith, but were ostracized and many times persecuted by the, by the uh, state church. So a lot of them immigrated to the states, and a good portion of these Swedish people moved to western Massachusetts and Springfield. And they began this church in, in uh, uh, 1920s, early 1930s still existed, and a good portion of this church still was Swedish. So we walked into this church for the first time, didn't know anyone except one couple, and they weren't even there the, uh, that weekend. We walked in, and the first person we saw was a man by the name of Nils Hackensen. Is that just not the best Swedish name you've ever heard? Nils. And uh, he smiled, reached out, grabbed our hands, shook our hands, and uh, welcomed us into that church, got to know us. He was, he was the most delightful person, and he just made us instantly feel at home. He was probably in his 60s, but he was just a, a wonderful person. He and his wife, Eileen, that first Thanksgiving, we didn't have family to be with. They were our family. And that church was made up. It, it, it had a good demographic in terms of younger couples, but it was made up of a really solid core of people who were quite a bit older than we were. Names that, that still stick in my mind, George and Ruth Carlson, uh, Bertel Abrahamson, I love that name, Bertel. Uh, Ruby Anderson, who was in the nurse, nursery. Ernie and Betty Signoni. There's a lot of Johnsons in this church because it was Swedish. There are four pages of Johnsons in the church directory. But I'm telling you, they were people that ministered to us. And I want us to look at a passage today where two older people have the opportunity to minister. It's found in Luke chapter 2. It's in your bulletins. If you have your Bibles, open it to Luke chapter 2. I want to read starting with verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. And praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. 
She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned in Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of God. So here's a story of Advent that doesn't get told very often. Luke, uh, the author of this gospel, is the only non-Jewish author in all of Scripture. Luke is the beloved physician, the, the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, went on, on uh, several of his journeys with him. And Luke uh, was considered by sacred and secular historians as one of the finest historians of antiquity. He's very careful in terms of what he records and, and the events that, 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 he, that he writes down. He does this gospel and he also records the uh, history of the early church in the book of Acts, both written by this wonderful man, Luke. And, most theologians and scholars believe that Luke uh, talked with and interviewed Mary very carefully as he wrote this gospel. And you, you have the, the indications that he had some inside information in terms of, of the life of Jesus from his, his mother. And uh, you see it in this passage as well. Luke is the only one who records this instance in all, all of the gospels. And he records about two people, and it's a rather lengthy passage, and um, it's, it's just two people that we just hear of here. Um, it's this curious encounter of, of Joseph and Mary with these two older people in the temple, and, and I, I wonder at times, and, and I don't know if you do, why, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to include them here? I mean, it's just two people. This is just a brief encounter. Uh, they're not of any great importance politically or or, or any, any kind of leadership. But even though they weren't that significant in the grand scheme of things, they were there to do something very important. They were there to proclaim and to reinforce for this husband and wife, this father and mother, that this was no ordinary child. They both knew it already, but this was, this was just another reinforcement. This was just another testimonial to the fact this was no ordinary child. So I look at this passage and I get encouraged by three things that I see in, in these two people, Simeon and Anna. Two people who grabbed onto and didn't let go of their faith in God. And I think it produced three things, uh, three reminders for me and hopefully for you. First reminder is this. They're a reminder that our dreams can be fulfilled. Our dreams can be fulfilled. There's a passage in the prophet Joel in the Old Testament that Peter quotes his first sermon, first sermon ever given after Christ's resurrection. And it's the day of Pentecost. Thousands became believers that day. And Peter quotes one passage from the Old Testament. It's this passage from Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, where God speaks through the prophet Joel, and he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And I like this, this next phrase, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Simeon, this man, had a dream given to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died, that he would see the one 
who in his mind was going to come and, and be the redeemer, the liberator, the one who is going to absolutely captivate and, and return Israel to, to a theocracy, this, this Messiah. What are your dreams? You still have them? What are your dreams? What dreams have you had that just haven't really come to fruition yet? Things that you've always said, yeah, that's, that's a dream of mine, but it, it never really happened, never really was fulfilled. Dreams about falling in love, we have those, don't we? Getting married, having children, being successful in your profession, living a life of purpose, leaving a legacy of significance. What are your dreams? I was going into the ninth grade, the summer between my eighth grade and ninth grade, when uh, I watched on television an event that took place in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was a march on Washington, it was a civil rights march, and uh, nothing like it had ever really taken place before in this country. And Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he gave a message that day. And uh, the words that he said over and over again at the end of that message just sort of still resonate in my mind. I have a dream. I have a dream. A couple things he said. I have a dream the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream my four little children will live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Those were good dreams. I believe that God gives us dreams. And I believe that Advent is the time to be reminded that God allows our dreams to be fulfilled. Here's this young couple. They're coming into the temple. This is a huge temple court. This is not just an isolated event where they're the only ones there. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of people there. There's a lot of activity going on. And they're walking into this, this uh, temple court. They've got their two doves there, or their two pigeons. Uh, the, the Old Testament uh, specified a lamb, but if you couldn't afford that, if you weren't wealthy enough, then you could substitute that with, with two birds. And, and here they are, they're walking in, the baby's in their arms, and this man comes up. Can you imagine, those of you who've had, had young, uh, children and, and, and infants that you've cared for, if someone, a stranger walked up to you and just grabbed your child out of your arms, wouldn't that, that that'd give you a little bit of a, a start, wouldn't it? But he takes this baby Simeon, he takes this baby, and he doesn't just say something. He, he, he gives a psalm. He breaks into poetry. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you, may I dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. She prepared in the sight of all nations, the light for the revelation of Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon had a dream, and it was fulfilled on that day. Now, he had in mind, I think, what all Jewish people in this time had in mind is that this Messiah would come and he would set the nation free from their captors, their, their, the ones who dominated them. And Israel, the past several centuries, had had tragedy after tragedy as, as nation states would come in and conquer them, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Romans there dominating their land, controlling them. They, they, they lived under oppression. And I'm sure Simeon thought, oh, this is the one. This is the one who's going to bring a theocracy back 
to Israel. God's going to once again be in control and, and, and we'll be set free from our captors. But that wasn't exactly the dream really that God had. God had much bigger dreams in mind. I think it's good to point out that, that sometimes our dreams in our own mind and, and, and in our hearts can be, can be limited, but God takes those dreams as we move toward them. And many times he'll take them and he'll move those dreams far beyond what we could ask or even imagine. Sometimes he shatters our dreams. Uh, no, notice that Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those are sobering words. Sometimes our dreams take us to places that aren't all that comfortable. Zach Van Dyke, our, our teaching pastor on the teach team, and also the Herndon campus pastor, you've heard Zach speak, probably most of you. He graduated from Florida State and, uh, with a theater major. And he uh, th thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going I'm to be an actor. So he went to where most people go to be actors, Southern California. And uh, as I talked with Zach, he, he said, I didn't want to be famous necessarily. I just wanted people to know me, which I don't know how, what the difference there is. But uh, uh, he said, I went there, and for three years, he said, I tried to break into acting. And, uh, of course, he did the quintessential waiting tables and all the stuff that that uh, aspiring actors try to do, didn't break in, wasn't successful. And as he recounts the story, he comes back to Orlando, and his dreams are shattered. He does not like the fact that he has to come back here and, 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 and work in a job that he has no interest in, but God took those dreams, and he didn't fulfill them quite the way that Zach wanted to, but he gave him better dreams as Zach was called into the ministry. And, and I trust you've been blessed like I've been blessed with a man who has, has been able to share the word of God in powerful and mighty ways. Sometimes God will take your dreams and shatter them a bit so he can replace them with dreams far beyond what you can imagine or think. Simeon thought liberator of Israel. God, the father, thought liberator of the world. We are here today those of us who have faith in Jesus, because God's dream was far greater than man's. Simeon and Anna reminders that hope can be embraced. Not just dreams can be fulfilled, but hope can be embraced. Simeon and Anna never ceased to focus on the hope that God had given them. Can you imagine living all those decades, all those years, and they hung on to that hope? The descriptions of them would lead me to believe that these aren't ordinary worshipers. These were people, uh, Luke says of Simeon that he was, he's devout and righteous. This is a man who's really committed to his faith. And out of Anna, here's this dear woman who's lived decades as a widow. It says she, she, she was there all the time, worshiping and fasting. She was fully devoted to her relationship with God and really really retaining the hope that she had that God would have his way, not just in her life, but in the world around her. These were sort of, Anna was probably a little weird, if you really want to know. He's sort of the person that you sort of want to avoid if you're in the temple courts, right? This is, this is a person who's, who's really religious. She's very committed. And these were two people that didn't stop hoping in spite of their advanced years. Where's hope died in your life? When did you stop hoping? Ellie Wiesel, who is uh, a 
Auschwitz concentration camp survivor, prolific writer, wonderful, wonderful man. He, he, he writes this. He says, just as a man cannot live without dreams, he cannot live without hope. Then he says, if dreams uh, reflect the past, hope summons the future. See, hope is the thing that keeps us focused on, hey, there's something that's yet to come, something that's good. God's still active. He's still alive. Advent is a reminder that hope can be embraced, that there's meaning beyond what this society calls the random and fickle actions of the universe. No, God has a plan. God has a plan for each of you, each of you, uniquely suited to you and to your life and gifting. God has a plan. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand that or comprehend it or, or even think it because, you know, God's got all this stuff going on. Do you realize how much stuff God has going on in the universe? To think that he would know me. But Jesus, in a Sermon on the Mount, just beautiful statement, he says, God has the very hairs of your head numbered. Every intricate detail of your life, God's aware of. He has a plan. And with that plan comes a hope that you can grab onto. J.I. Packer says the Christian message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. I have a future. I have a hope. I'll be 68 this month in, what did I say, how many days? 10 Ten days, 27th, just mark it on your calendars. It really would make me happy. Uh, no one has a birthday between Christmas and New Year's is a happy person. It's just, we're neglected. And uh, that's why I became a therapist, I think. So uh, probably 68 in 10 days. And you know what? I still have a hope. Still have a hope. God's still active and he's alive and he's moving. Still have a hope. I got uh, an email, received an email a few weeks ago from a woman, uh, as wife of a couple, used to be at our Summit Herndon campus a couple years ago. And she writes, hey, Jim, I hope you've been well. Saw you on LinkedIn tonight. I want to let you know that as an old guy, I still do social media. I think that was pretty cool. I just want to point that out. And wanted to say hi and thank you for all your help when my husband and I were going through a really tough place. I ended up completing my internship in Jacksonville. Such a good fit. They created a job for me once I graduated. It was very tough, but our marriage grew stronger in the six months of traveling back and forth. Last month, my husband was able to get a job up here, and I think it's perfect fit for him. We miss Orlando and especially Summit, but we found a church that we think we really like. Then she concludes, she says, I'm sure we'll have many more rough patches, but we made it through a really rough one with your help, and I am forever grateful. She signs her name. Now, it'd be nice to be able to take credit for that, but I can't take any credit for that. This is God who is working in the life of this couple who came to me in really, really rough shape with a broken relationship. And this wife had shattered dreams. 
The dreams that she had of her marriage were shattered, but she did not lose hope. And it was fulfilled, and God's plan was for her and for her husband so much more. Just a little indication. That's God at work. He's the one who gives us hope. Dreams can be fulfilled. Hope can be embraced. Lastly, this passage is a reminder to me that miracles can still happen. Miracles can still happen. Anna, this older woman, verse 38, she comes up, probably after Simeon's done speaking with him, comes up to them at that very moment, and she begins to give thanks. Praise God. And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Can you imagine this older woman just pulling people over? Here, I've got to show you a baby. I'm going to show you a baby. Come here and see the baby. Come here. This baby, this baby is the Redeemer. I don't know how you would have responded. I don't know how I would have responded. But I'm sure people were amazed. And here, someone was proclaiming this. Interesting, isn't it? All these hundreds of people, maybe thousands, two people, two, outside of Mary and Joseph, two, understood and embraced the fact that there was a miracle that was taking place that day, that that baby was God's gift. These two older people. And they spoke it out, and they proclaimed it. You're never too old or too hopeless to witness and experience a miracle. If you've heard me talk at Christmas time before, you perhaps have heard me tell this story, uh, but I'll tell it every Christmas that I give me a chance to speak because it's special to me. Christmas time in our family is very, very important, my family of origin. Um, my father and mother met during World War II. They met... Uh, by mail. Uh, they did not meet personally before. They introduced uh, themselves to each other by mail. My mom was a single mom. She was divorced. She had two children, a girl and a boy, nine and seven years old. Her husband had left her, left her without support. She struggled for many years to try to repair that marriage, and when it was broken, she struggled just to survive. One thing my mom did not do is she didn't give up hope completely, especially in her faith. She continued to, to be involved in her church and at her church, her Pres Presbyterian church in Toledo, Ohio. She met a couple, uh, Orville and uh, his wife, and, and uh, they talked to her about a young man that they knew in the Navy who was single that she might want to meet. And the more they talked about him, the more she liked what she heard. So she said, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll write him a letter. And we, I still, my, my wife pulled out, we have this in our, in our, in our uh, storage at home, my wife pulled it out, I was just, just looking at it the other day, the, the letter my mom wrote, this young sailor introducing herself. And it's about a five, six page letter, and she enclosed a picture of herself in this letter. And uh, she heard the sailor was short, so she, the picture she enclosed was her kneeling down, because she didn't want to appear too tall in the, in the picture. And uh, she was with a little, little kitten. And... Uh, uh, sent it off. A few weeks later, letter came back from the sailor uh, 
And uh, he introduced himself, and uh, I just read this letter. He said, uh, appreciate the picture you enclosed. And he says, I rather envy that little kitten. Uh, he's already flirting with uh, my future mom uh, via letter. And he said, I think I'm going to be home for Christmas. And they only exchanged one letter back and forth. He said, they're going to be on furlough, and I think I'll be home for Christmas. So they planned on meeting then, and uh, my mom told her two children, hey, we've got some special coming. They, they had presents for him under the tree. Christmas came and went, no sailor. New Year's came and went, no sailor. They received a telegram. He was held up in Oakland, California. Finally, he made it second week into January. They kept the tree up, and they had Christmas. My, my mom and dad met for the first time. January 1945. My dad, who'd been in the South Pacific, uh, had uh, gotten malaria. He'd come down with malaria. He didn't take his quinine pills, he told me later on, because he didn't like his skin turning yellow. But so he got malaria. And malaria is a kind of disease that sort of recurs over time, and you just get attacks. And he had a malaria attack the night he met my mom. His hands were shaking. He walked into the room, saw my mom. She saw him. He extended his hands. My mom says, I grabbed onto his hands, and I never let him go the whole night. I just held on to him the whole night. And three days later, they were engaged. It's my dad, his man of action. said, this is what I want, and we're moving ahead. Can you imagine? Single mom, two young children. Five months later, married in a small Lutheran church in northwest Ohio. My folks were married 49 years. An older half-sister and half-brother, and then uh, older sister, biological sister, myself, my two younger brothers. My mom, after those three days, and the sailor went back, he was then stationed in Alaska, because there's no malaria in Alaska, and uh, she took a pair of scissors and she cut off a branch of that tree. Some blue spruce, short needles, and she kept that branch. And if you would have gone to our home in Toledo, Ohio, in our dining room, in the upper left-hand corner behind a, a picture, a needle point, I think it was, that, that branch was there for the 21 years I lived in that house. Brown, you, you couldn't get more brown than that branch, but not a needle. My mom said there was not a needle that ever fell from that branch. That branch sat there as a silent reminder of a miracle that took place at Christmas. My mom had a husband. Her two children had a dad. Miracles still happen. Nils Hackinson was the one who always met you at the door. Bertel Abrahamson was my Sunday school teacher. He taught Sunday school in his 60s. This layman who just loved Jesus and loved the scriptures opened up the word. And we met in the balcony of the small church, small Sunday school class who just loved to hear Bertel teach. All these people were a family. They surrounded us. They loved us, and we loved them. We always felt welcome there. So now... I'm the old gentleman in the blue shirt, right? When I first came to Summit, I was quick to realize that this was a younger church, younger demographic. When I joined the teach team, that age difference was even more noticeable. Um, they tell jokes that I do not understand. 
I smile, I laugh, but no one ever asks me if I get it because they know I don't. They make clever remarks that I'm not clever enough to respond to. I still smile and I'm mute because I don't know what in the world they're talking about. Uh, I make mistakes because I'm not in touch with popular vernacular. I'll say things and they'll just go like this and explain to me that's probably not best said. But I'm here because this is a church that loves Jesus. Church that serves others. Church that seeks to glorify God. And it's a privilege for this old gentleman to see Jesus. And I'm still praying for and anticipating miracles. I'm praying for and anticipating the fact that God will heal marriages that are irrevocably broken by his power. That a parent and child's relationship can be restored after years of desolation. That an addict's path to total destruction can be turned around by the love of Jesus and a loving community. I see a history of brokenness defeated through the grace of God. So here you have these two people, insignificant people, but important people. All through the Gospels, all through Scripture, you see God uses the underdog. He uses the underachievers, the undeserving. He uses the unknown, the unhealthy. You have a, a, a common laborer as, as, as Jesus' father figure, a teenage girl for his mother. You have Jesus associating with prostitutes and adulterers and people who have cheated and stealed, you, stolen. You, you, you've, you've got him interacting with children. There's a boy with a lunch in there. And you have this group of disciples, this ragtag group of disciples who don't get it, don't understand, not highly educated. They're really sort of nobodies, but God uses them. Brendan Manning says it's a ragamuffin gospel. God uses broken people. And you know what? Advent's a reminder that however broken you are or how broken I am, there is a Redeemer that has come, has taken our sin and put it on his shoulders and made the ultimate sacrifice for us so we can be forgiven. Now, this old gentleman is still here. I'm looking for the next miracle to happen. In this Advent season, I want to tell you, that miracle can happen in your life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to be reminded of the fact that you still can fulfill dreams, that you still can instill us with hope so we can see a future for ourselves. And that we can still see miracles as you intervene and, and impose yourself on a world that has fallen and broken. But Lord, we know that you're the one who, who is the Redeemer. And I pray for myself, each person here, that this is a season that we can renew our dreams and our hopes. And that we can anticipate you working in our lives in a way that we couldn't even begin to un, uh, explain or understand outside of your great love and power. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he's done for us. And it's in his holy and righteous name that we pray. Amen.